We're going to be talking to, this morning from Ezekiel. We're going to be teaching from Ezekiel 36. I'm letting you know that now because it's in the Old Testament. Some of you might have to search for it a little bit, but it is uh, one of the major prophets. And I'll tell you why we're going to do that in a minute. But I wanted to start off with a real story of faith. Once in a while, you find a story of faith that is in a book somewhere, and it's somewhat impactful when we hear of somebody that has uh, really triumphed uh, in, in a difficult situation. But in this particular situation, I want to tell you a story about a man named Pram and his wife named Nam. Now, obviously, they're of a different culture, and I want you to know that they are very real to us because I sat down a month ago with them to hear their story, and I will share by the end of the message how we are tied in with this family. And so Param and Nam were people that were, fell in love, and they, they didn't really have money, they didn't have anything but love, and they decided that they were going to get married. Now, you need to understand, not only did they not have money, but they lived in a culture where they were of the lowest caste amongst all the hill tribes. They were part of the Korean people, and so they, they were pretty much uh, subjugated to being farmers their whole life. It would be back-breaking work, and they were specifically rice farmers as well as raising anything else that they could live off of because their life depended upon this. Now, you need to know that they felt very fortunate, even though some would pity them, they felt very fortunate that in Thailand, they lived in, they grew up in Christian homes where their parents loved Jesus in the midst of a Buddhist country. So they, very, they felt very fortunate in that regard. Now, these people were very much like you and I in the sense that they worship Sunday. Now, this is where it's a little different. When they worship Sunday, they go to five services that pretty much last all day long on Sunday. They get up at 6. Their first service is at 6 in the morning. They go home, have breakfast, come back at 9 o'clock and have another breakfast. And that progresses throughout the entire day. Um, and, but they truly do worship all day on Sunday. And they truly do work Monday through Saturday from sunup to sundown. That's the kind of people that they are. Well, as I got to meet them, they told me the story of how when they were first married, that they sensed that God wanted them to do something special, and, but they didn't know what exactly. They had a sense that God wanted them to help rescue little girls, but they had no means to do it. But then one day, Nam got deathly sick. And she became deathly sick and went to the doctor. And the doctor said, you are not going to live. You're not going to make it through this. And so uh, Prom and Nam uh, cried out to God along with their church. And they asked God to do a miracle. And in doing so, they said, we will dedicate our entire life to serving you. And God did the miraculous. He showed up. He showed up and he healed her and it confounded the doctors. So they went home from the hospital that day with the, uh, the ambition to start serving God in the area that God had placed upon their heart. But they didn't really know where to start. And so they went home and pretty much got into the normal routine of worshiping all day Sunday, working Monday through Saturday from sunup to sundown, and giving thanks for God, to God for all the things that they had. And they never progressed any further than that. And that lasted for another 10 years. 
And then all of a sudden, Nam got deathly sick again. Totally different illness. Totally different illness. And she went to the doctors and the doctors said, you need to put your accounts in order. You need to say goodbye to your family because you're not going to live. Now this time, not only did Param and Nam cry out to God, by this time they had four children. They cried out to God and their church cried out to God and they asked God to heal, uh, heal her. And God again miraculously healed her and it confounded the doctors again. This time when she went home, the church elders came alongside of her and said, you're going to serve God, okay? You're going to do what you have committed to do. And so they shared with the elders that they had a heart to step out and rescue girls who were orphaned and vulnerable in their tribe. Now, being the poorest of the poor, they knew that many of the girls in their tribe, if somebody didn't act, would become a part of the 1.2 million children that are sold into sex trafficking each year, into slavery. They knew that that would happen. They also knew that these girls would become a part of the lucky dead and that 90% of these girls would die before the age of 18 with AIDS. They knew this, but here was their problem. They had no money. They had nothing at all. They had four children of their own, so therefore they had no room. And they also had no time whatsoever. They worked from sunup to sundown. They couldn't make the sun stand still. So against all odds, no money, no space, no time, what were they to do? And yet they decided that they would take one step, one step of faith. And so that step of faith was to go before the elders and to say to the elders, we want to rescue girls and we want you to come alongside and pray with us. And before they knew it, within a few months, they had four girls that were in poverty that would have been sold to a brothel that were in their homes that were rescued. It was that one step of faith. And this is where, in a sense, their faith collided with the needs of the world, and God used their faith to make a difference in these four girls' lives. And what God did is he does what he always does when we step out of faith. He takes the widow's might. He takes what little that we have to offer, the few fish, the few loaves, and what he does is he multiplies it. God blessed their crops in an incredible way that they were able to raise $10 extra a month to be able to feed, to clothe, and to send each of these girls to school as they all live together, all, all nine of them, in a little 20-foot by 30-foot house. God answered their prayers. And as I sat four weeks ago, face-to-face, eye-to-eye with Param and Nam and heard them share their story, I got to tell you that I began feeling like this big in terms of my faith. And what God started to stir on my heart was this question. How is my faith colliding with the needs of the world around me? How is my faith colliding with the world's, the world and the needs around me? How are we stepping out at mission view? See, this is the question I want us to evaluate as a congregation this Christmas Sunday. 
Fortunately, God's word gives us all kinds of examples of how we are to step out in faith. And not only does he give us examples, but he is the ultimate one who showed us the example of sending his son. Here we had fully divine, fully God, fully sovereign, waiving some of his rights so that he could be in an earthly little manger, a manger in a stall that was filled with animals and animal dung and everything that we would consider unclean in our, if we were to have that as our nursery requirements. You know, we wouldn't want that. But this is the environment in which Jesus the Christ child came and Jesus, uh, God did an amazing thing by allowing him to come and to set an example of the divine colliding with a very lost and desperate world. Now, here's what I know. God intentionally planned what he was going to do. He planned out his part. And so what I want us to do is I want us to look at his plan, how it was even predicted hundreds and hundreds of years before even Jesus came. And that's why we're going to look at Ezekiel 36. I want you to know that over 500 years before the Christ came, he predicted by giving what he called a new covenant of a plan that would happen someday that would happen only through the Messiah. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. So we'll look at what God's plan is. And then at the end of the service, we're going to evaluate for ourselves. How are we doing in our faith colliding with the needs of the world? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that you would take your word, that you would show us what you want to know, want us to know. I pray, Father, that we would not just come to church on Sunday expecting to just have a nice service and to walk away as unchanged individuals. Lord, every time we come here, we come and open your word. And we ask that as we open your word that we would meet the holy God, the one true God that sent his son, Jesus Christ, and has given us his Holy Spirit. And I pray, Father, that you would bring conviction in our hearts. Show us where you want us to be. Help us to follow you with all of our hearts and to follow your example of, of, of you sending your son to interact with a, a world in need. Help us to be agents that do the same. We pray that in Christ's name. Amen. Ezekiel 36. We're going to start with verse 22 and 23. And what we're going to see here is how a holy God collided with a profane people. They were a corrupt people. Take a look at what it says. Therefore, say to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord. This is Ezekiel 36, 22. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned amongst the nations to which you came. I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned amongst the nations and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord God, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their very eyes. 
So what is God saying here? He is saying, I am going to do something that is going to vindicate my holy name. Here's what you have done, Israel. You have made my name bad with the nations. You drug my name through the mud before the nations. You paraded me in an unholy manner, and you misrepresented me. God is not happy with this. And he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to vindicate my name. You see, the God's intention for Israel was to be a light to the nations, to be an example of a holy God so that they would come to faith. And they did just the opposite. And he says, despite you, I am going to do something miraculous through you that is going to be utterly, utterly amazing. This is what I'm going to do. Now, here's what we need to see here. We need to see that God was dealing with a very stubborn people. They were obstinate in their hearts. They were rebellious. And even though God showed his immense kindness, his immense patience with the people of Israel, they constantly went after other gods. They, they were guilty of idolatry. Their, some of their idolatry led them to sacrificing, you can't even imagine this, sacrificing their own children. It led them to do things like being greedy and selfish and sexual sins and materialism, and the list goes on. Now, I want you to know that we still have these problems today. We still have problems with every one of them. We have problems with idolatry. We have problems with our own society sacrificing their own children in abortion for the sake of convenience. We still have greed. We still have sexual sins. We still have all of the problems that the people of Israel... So let's not look at this and say, wow, they were really, really bad. No, our society is guilty of the same things. So here's what God says. Even though you have rebelled... I am going to do something. You see, God had already began the punishment with this nation. When he is writing this, when Ezekiel is penning these words, these people were already ripped away from their home and from their land. They were already in Babylon because they were enduring a 70-year punishment by God being stripped away from their homes. And what God says is, I'm going to do something through you. Now, you got to understand, by the time the prophet is writing these things, their hearts may have been moldable at that point. They had been under the discipline. They had been in that timeout. And you know how a child is after so long in a timeout. All of a sudden, they're open to hearing what mom and dad have to say. Possibly, they would be open. And what he begins to do is he's going to lay out this new covenant of what he's going to do that has to do with the Messiah. Even though this passage won't mention the Messiah, these people had heard about the Messiah. Isaiah had said this, a virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and they'll call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. The people of Israel scratched their heads at something like that. Really? God with us? A child? He also said, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So when Ezekiel goes into this prophecy, they understood that there was something that God was going to do through the Messiah. Now he knew that it primarily applied to them, but let me tell you, it secondarily applies to you and I. Because he is saying this to the nations because he wants to exalt his holiness to the nations. And God's heart has always been for the nations to come to repentance. 
God wants that even to this day for all to know him, to know that he is a holy God. So he says, I'm going to do five things for you, five things for you as a nation, but these are five things that he is willing to do in each and every one of our lives. Some of you have already experienced this. Number one, take a look at verse 24. He says this, I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle you clean, with on wa clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from your idols. I will cleanse you. Now what God is promising to do with them is to restore and to cleanse. Let me tell you what he's to promising for Israel. He is saying that I'm going to gather you back someday. Now, they may have thought that this primarily applied when they were going to be done with the 70-year punishment in Babylon, but I believe it went beyond that. They didn't know this, but there would be a day that in 70 AD that God would use the Romans to scatter the Jews all over the earth. And they would be divinely punished because of their continual disobedience. You see, even after they got out of their punishment in Babylon, they went right back to their practices. And God says, I will ultimately discipline you. And he scattered them all over the face of the earth. You know that he never, he did not regather them until 1948. Within our era, within our time frame, we had God fulfill part of this commitment that he would bring them back as a nation but he also said he would cleanse them now there's a sense that he would cleanse them as a nation that hasn't happened yet but what he is saying is that he is going to come alongside and someday he will cleanse them as a nation it is made available because of what he does next and we'll cover that in a minute but here's what he applies to us we are a people that have been devastated by sin ourselves. And what God wants is to restore you. He wants to restore each and every single person here. He not only wants to restore us, he wants to cleanse us. See, it grieves a holy God that the very people he created stand as people that are defiled. He doesn't want you like that. He wants you close to him. He wants a close, intimate relationship. But because he's a holy God, we must be restored we must be cleansed everything he, that he's about to give is something that should happen to us here's the second thing he says he will do verse 26 i will give you a new heart and a new spirit i will put in you and i will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and i will give you a heart of flesh now, what he promises is that there would be a day in this new covenant that God would do this for the nation of Israel. And he would do it through the Messiah. It would be made available to them through the Messiah that would come. And that Messiah would come as a little child and he would grow up. And in his earthly ministry, he would start to introduce people to the new heart. He started doing that by saying to people, hey, your heart is evil. Remember Mark chapter 7 when Pastor Brian uh, taught on it a few weeks ago? This is what Jesus said. For within, out of men's heart comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. About every sin that you could possibly think of, Jesus said, yeah, yeah, you got that problem. The problem is with your heart. See, that's the problem with every single individual. Our heart is corrupt. 
And Jesus then goes on in another part of Mark and says, here's my expectation. My expectation is that you'll love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might, with all your strength. Now, here's the problem. How can I love God in that way when my heart is corrupt? My friends, the corruptness needs to be removed. In Mark chapter 9, Jesus trying to help people understand that they need to have that corruptness removed from their life says this, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter into life maimed than to have two hands to go to hell where the fire never goes out. Then he goes on and talks about the foot and the eye. If you need to pluck it out, cut it off. Now, was he literally saying cut those things off? He was trying to say that there needs to be a cleansing in an individual's life. And you know what? Here's what I know. I can go in life without a hand. I can go without a foot or an eye. But I can't do without a heart. And so it would require a heart transplant. It would require a doctor to be able to do that. Fortunately, Jesus said early in Mark, he said this, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but it's the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. See, the key to a new heart is repentance. And that's what Jesus wants to do, the great physician. He wants to take out this old heart that has been defiled by so many things that we have done wrong. And he wants to replace it with a, a new heart. Corinthians, 2 Corinthians says, if anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. God delights in remaking every single individual by putting a new heart in us. That's what he was prophesying. That's what he was predicting. And that's what God wants to do the question is do you have that new heart take a look at the third thing he wants to do in verse 27 he wants to put his spirit inside of us he says and i will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules notice that when we have the spirit then we're able to follow the guidelines and the the principles from god's word you see, he's saying that he wants to put his Holy Spirit permanently inside of the individual. Now, this was news for the people in the Old Testament because they didn't have that kind of, of, of God anointing them permanently. Every, the Holy Spirit was temporary in the Old Testament. But what he is saying is, I want to imprint upon you, I want to implant upon you God's Spirit upon those that would believe in me. In a sense, what he is saying is that he wants to impart a new nature so that it would allow them to live righteously. Think about it. We have a dog. Our dog has a dog nature. It drives my wife crazy when he licks all the time. Just lick, 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 lick. But that's a dog. He has a dog nature. The only way we can change that is kill him um, or Put a new nature in them. But I don't have that ability to put a new nature in my dog. But what God is saying is when we were of the old nature, all we could do is wrong, 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 wrong. 
But what God says is when we repent, when we give our life to him, he takes out the old heart, puts a new heart inside of us. He puts his spirit in us so that we now have the ability to obey. We can obey. We don't have to sin. Jesus or Paul says that we have been set free from the powers of the bondage of sin because of what Christ has made available to us. Now, Jesus tried to point that out to people. He says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. And then later on in that chapter in John 16, he says, I want to come and live with you. If you obey my teaching, if you hear me, I'll put my spirit inside of you. So how do we get his spirit? By obeying his teaching. Jesus' entire teaching is summarized in this one phrase, repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he said in Mark chapter 1. His whole message, his whole ministry could be summarized. That's what he wants. He wants us to turn, repent from the way that we used to look at life. And he wants us to turn entirely to him and surrender to him. That's hard for us to do. But we are to believe in him. And what, when, he does, when we do that, he puts his Holy Spirit inside of us. My question today is, have you been restored? Have you been cleansed? Do you have a new heart? Do you have the Spirit of God inside of you? Here's the fourth thing he says he predicts that he wants to do. Look at verse 28. He says, You shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers, and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. What he is promising that someday the Jewish nation, I'm going to be your God. He predicts that there's going to be, a, in a sense, a national revival amongst the Jews that hasn't even happened as of yet. But the point is that what God wants to do is he wants to bring those that are his own, those that have yielded their life to him, he wants to give you a sense of security. I think that's exactly what Jesus was teaching in John 10. Listen to what he said. He says, I give eternal life. He doesn't say, I might give eternal life, or it's a good possibility if you play your cards right that you'll get eternal life. He says, no, I give eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. Do you see that? We see a double grip of God. Christ and God says, when you are my own, when you have yielded your life to him, he has a double grip upon your life and there is no way, no how that anyone will ever snatch you from his hands. You have that security. It's the same security that I wanted my children to grow up with. Daddy has your back. I will cover you. I will make sure that you are protected. Do you have that security? We live in a world where there are so many that have so many insecurities. Here's the fifth thing that God wanted to do in this prophecy. He wanted to create them an environment that they would flourish. Look at verse 29. And I will deliver you from all your uncleanness, and I will summon the grain and make it abundant and lay no famine upon you. I will make the fruit of the trees and the increase of the fields abundant that you may never again suffer the disgrace of famine amongst the nation. Just the same thing that happened to Prom and Nam happened to the people that he was promising. He says, I'm going to bless you. When you turn to me, which hasn't happened, I'm going to completely bless you as a people. Here's the important thing. 
The point here is that God loves to bless obedience. I really believe that. And not only does he love obedience, he loves it when we take that one step of faith. When we say, I will step out, I will believe in you, God, I will do this, he blesses that obedience. I believe that God blesses us with deeper relationships. My life is filled with so many valuable relationships that I cherish. He's given that depth. He also allows your money to go further. There's been plenty, plenty of years where Lee and I were dirt poor, and yet God had a way of making that money go further by our car not breaking out and things not happening to us, and God blessed us that way. I believe God allows you to have fulfillment and peace in the years that are allotted to you. God loves to bless. Here's the question. Is God's full blessing on your life? See, the one caveat to all of this is the very end of this prophecy, and that is that we have to turn from our sin. Take a look at what he says in verse 31. Then you will remember your evil ways and your deeds that, you're, that you were not good, and you will loathe yourself for your iniquities and your abominations. It is not for your sake that I will act, declares the Lord, that let, let that be known to you. Be ashamed and confounded for your ways, O house of Israel. My friends, I don't know that we live in a society where people come face to face with their own sin. In fact, I think we live in a society where we compare ourselves with somebody else and we think of ourselves as better than we really are. We look at that guy and say, well, I'm definitely better than that guy. I'm not as good as him, but I, I, there's plenty of people behind me. God doesn't operate on that scale. It's just you and him. When you compare yourself with a holy God, how do you stand? That's right. We fail miserably. And that's why we need to say, God, I loathe my sin. I hate my sin. I hate the fact that I have grieved you incredibly. And I want to yield to you now. This morning, before we go further, what I want us to do is I want to have a time of prayer. And I want to lead you. Because I know that there are some that are kind of investigating Christ and you, you haven't yielded your life. I want to pray for you. Maybe you would say at this moment, yes, God, I want that in my heart. Maybe you would do that. Maybe there are some believers that you have been living in disobedience and God wants to draw you back. And after I pray, we're going to sing a song, This Amazing Grace. And here are some of the words. Who breaks the power of sin and darkness? Whose love is mighty and so much stronger? The King of glory, the King above all kings. My friends, he is the only one that can do that. Let's pray. Just in this moment of silence. Lord, I pray, Father, for the person that would say, God, I, uh, I could be honest. I, I probably haven't been very honest with my sin. And when I compare myself with you, a holy God, I realize I fall short. And I realize that I need to 
to turn from my selfishness, from my sinful ways. I don't know what all that means other than I need to lift it up to you and I need you to forgive me. I do believe in what you've done. I do believe that you came to earth and you pointed the way to man that you're God. That you proved that by dying on a cross and raising from the grave. And so I believe in what you've done and I want more than anything to yield my heart to you. Help me to embrace that amazing grace that you've given me. Help me to walk in that. We had this thing, didn't we? We had this thing about God's amazing grace because I know so many people here that your faith has collided with the holy God and God has changed you. Now what we must do is we must consider what happens to the person who has been restored, the person that has been cleansed, the person that's been given a new heart, the person that, has, that God's spirit is living within them. What do we do from here? Should we conclude that God did all of this for our own fulfillment? Should we conclude that the chief end of God is our happiness and for our security? Well, we know from our own passage that's not the case. It's about his holiness. It's about his renown. It's about God. It's about God being exalted. The fact is God has blessed each and every one of us, those that have dedicated our life with salvation so that we would in turn live to be a blessing and a representative of God. Put it in another way, the divine collided with humanity with a message. And that message was a message of good news. And now we who have been changed by that good news, it is now our job. He has handed the baton to us and says, you now must collide with a world that is hopeless, that needs Christ. That's our job as Christ's followers. That's our job as his ambassadors. And we have all kinds of scriptures in the New Testament that talk about our job, our responsibility. I want to give you one passage to close with to challenge us as believers that have had this change. And that is from Philippians chapter 2, verse 14 and 16. The Apostle Paul was speaking and he says this. He says, I want you to do all things without grumbling or disputes that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation amongst whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. Now here Paul deals with an issue that often happens within the church. In this, and it was giving a black eye to the, uh, to, in the community to the, you know, to the church because this was happening within. He says, you're grumbling. You're disputing, and this complaining and arguing is not doing anything to advance the cause of Christ. So Paul has to speak directly to the people of the Philippian church. And he says, here's the deal. This is causing you to miss the primary purpose that God intends for the church. And the primary purpose, he states there. He says that you are to be blameless and innocent, living such good lives in a very lost and dark and twisted world. That's what God's expectations are 
on the body of Christ. Now, the word here for blameless means that there is no provable charge. Church, hear this. What God wants in your life individually, that there is no provable charge. Remember, when you have a new heart, a new spirit, God breaks the power of sin in your life. So it is possible for you to live with integrity. It is possible for you to represent Jesus Christ. Some say, oh, I'm just a sinner. I'm just going to sin. I'm going to keep on sinning. No, 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 no. That's not biblical. When you have a new heart, when you have a new spirit, that, bro- that chain is broken. It doesn't mean that we will be faultless, that we will be sinless, but we have the power to say no to sin and ungodliness, as Titus talks about. And so this is what God wants. He wants us to be blameless. He wants us also to be innocent. The word innocent means undiluted by sin. In other words, pure and unadulterated in our life, we are not to be corrupted by sin and its power. As a changed people, we are to live such exemplary lives, not perfect, but credible, that, it, that our witness will not be weakened. See, God wants us to be fully charged, fully impactful, full beaming lights in a, in a lost and dark world. Do you remember that scene from... Uh, uh, from all the old Star Trek shows. You remember when Captain Kurt says to Mr. Scott, we need more power. And he says, I'm giving it all we got, Captain. And he, he wants more power. What God is saying, this is what I want. I want full power from the body of Christ that I have enabled you to have. I want that to be seen in your life. I don't want you to be sidetracked with sin. Because what I've done is I've set the example. I came. I collided with this world. Now it's your turn. So here's my question. How is our faith colliding with the needs of this world? How are we doing at Mission View? Now, I might be a little biased as your pastor, but I got to say that I am so proud of this congregation. There is so much that God has done in 15 short months. Although we have a lot of room for growth, we have so many areas to grow in. And I thank you for being patient with us as leaders. But I feel that I have seen so many humble servants within this ministry that you truly take the commission and the charge seriously to live out your faith 24-7 that you are the body of Christ on legs throughout the week. You're representing Christ, and you're trying to do that. Once in a while, I hear of how you're reaching into your circle of responsibility, your core. I heard recently of a, of a man in our congregation who's meeting regularly with a coworker, going through the scriptures together with them. Now, I want you to know that that's been my prayer for you. As we've gone through the book of Mark, that God would open up doors for you to be able to sit down and and help lead somebody through the scriptures. I know another individual who's a business owner who has developed an intentional strategy of sharing the good news with his employees. I know of children that are now at Mission View because of a family that said, we're going to adopt our neighborhood, and that's going to be our circle of responsibility, and we're going to love the people in that community, and those children are here hearing about Jesus Christ. Now, I could go on and on, but I would risk being boastful, and I don't want to do that. 
As a church, I'm so encouraged that in our first year of existence, we've been able to dedicate 10% of our funds to both local and global outreach. That's encouraging. A couple weeks ago, our elder Todd shared that 90% of all the funds given at Mission View are given by 50% of the people. Now, some people say, well, that's not very good, Steve. I mean, that's really bad. No, no, no. No, that tells me we got room for growth. That, that tells me that as more people become disciples, as more people understand the mission, as more people understand and trust leadership, that that is going to grow. That is a great foundation. That is an awesome foundation. And I see the hearts of so many people. You remember back in August when we took an offering to help with the Iraqi refugees? Can you imagine my surprise when I got this in the mail? Today I'm with the World Health Team in Iraq, where we're providing emergency aid and relief to thousands of refugee families. Pastor Marshall and the family at Mission View Church, it's because of you that this is even possible. Your gifts are making a difference. They're saving lives. They're restoring hope. And today, I simply want to say thank you. On behalf of the children who will eat a warm meal today because of you, thank you. For the sick who now have medicine, thank you. For the homeless who now have a place to stay, thank you. And from the bottom of my heart, thank you for all that you're doing to make a difference for these refugees. You have done something today that will outlive you and last for eternity. The needs are great here. Please continue to partner with us to reach thousands more in desperate need. That's awesome. I'm also very thankful that I could go and be a representative in Thailand to our new home that we have adopted. Remember, there was a children's home that we presented to you that we would like to adopt nine children and to help fund those children. And I'm really encouraged that your gifts have made a, a huge difference in their lives. And, and what we've been able to do is help provide a clean environment and, and just an incredible time and, uh, for them because they live in an environment where it's healthy, where they're hearing about the love of Christ. And we gave all the gifts and I carried 50-pound bag all the way through Cambodia, all the way, because my last stop was the Hill Tribe home. And we got there, and we had Christmas. And the first thing they did is they ripped it open, and they went to the picture. They went to the picture. That's what they cared about. And they cared that you loved them. They wanted to know who in the world made it possible for them to do this. And they wanted to sing a Christmas song for you. Let me tell you what this song says before we play it. It says, Christ died on the cross, and due to his grace and mercy, he gave of himself. Though he is a baby in the manger, he is God. In Bethlehem, there were many lost people before he came. Rejoice, rejoice, our king has come. He's come to turn darkness into light by his kindness, grace, and mercy. Listen to this.
What I want you to remember is that every one of them were rescued from a brothel. You made a difference in their life. Before we conclude, I want to share this last part of the story that I didn't tell. At the very beginning, I told you about Pram and Nam and their faith venture. Here's what I didn't tell you. Soon after they took the step of faith for the four children, they began praying that God would open up doors for them to be able to take more children. News came to remember knew that there was this family that wanted to do this. And so they approached them and said, listen, there is a brand new church in North Canton, Ohio, that is praying about being a part of something that would help rescue these girls. And if you would like, we would love to partner together and help you be able to expand the home. And of course, the parents are <laughs> in tears. They are able to expand their home. And because of the faithful giving here and also the giving of an outside donor, we were able to do a $25,000 renovation to their entire home so that they could have clean bathrooms, so that they can have more space to live in. In addition to that, they went from $10 a month to having $60 a month per child because of what you guys have sacrificially given. My friends, this is how our faith needs to collide with this world. We need to continue to make a difference. And I want you to know as we go forward, this is just the beginning. As we go forward in the coming months, my hope is that we will partner with other ministries. In the, in the winter, we're going to partner with two key ministries. I've met with the ministry Hammer and Nails. And they've asked that the last four Saturdays that we would send a crew of 10 people. And we're hoping that four community groups would take uh, one of those Saturdays and do a house renovation. You'll be able to go to a needy home that you'll be able to live out the gospel and be able to share the gospel. We're also going to be taking uh, meals again to the teachers in the North Canton school system. But we're also trying to get into the Plain and Jackson school system as well. And we're asking that God would open up the doors for this. Friends, this Christmas, we get to celebrate what God has made possible. Jesus' gift of a new heart, it set in motion a movement of God that continues to be compounded each day since that day, since the birth of Christ. And this was all made possible because of that silent, reverent night when the Christ child came. And as we leave this place, may we leave challenged to collide with a hopeless world.